We're going to get into Acts chapter 23. We're going to do the whole chapter. There's a lot of reading at the end that we'll cover, but uh, we're going to have some communion at the end here. Um, So hopefully I'm done by about eight and then for about a half hour, we're just going to spend time in prayer and communion and it's just going to be a sweet time of worship, communion and prayer. And so it just seems that for the last couple of weeks, the book of Acts has kind of left us hanging. As I was thinking about that, I was thinking of the old Batman um, sitcom where they would like just wait until next week. Will this happen? Will that? And it just kind of left you hanging and, and wanting to come back. And, and it just seems that that's what the book of Acts has done in the last couple of chapters. Um, it just kind of left us in the middle of something and it's interesting because it just it just left us off and then just started you know and chapters and verses if you're if you're not familiar with with the word here chapters and verses were added later on for our convenience um it's not the way the letters were written they were just kind of written as letters to people and um and you know they started putting the chapters and verses to kind of break it up and they did have sentences and paragraphs and sometimes the breaks in chapters were in the middle of a of a paragraph, um, and so just kind of that's what we've kind of been getting in the book of Acts here, just kind of stopping in the middle of something. Um, but be that as it may, we are going to continue in our journey uh, with the Apostle Paul as he is now in Jerusalem. The journey has started for him because he will be going to Rome. And from here on out, we're going to just be covering quite a bit um, until he gets closer to Rome. But um, just the fact that he's gotten to Jerusalem and everything that is happening to him right now that we've been covering, um, it's exactly what the Lord had been revealing to him and preparing him for. And I was sharing with you guys either last week or the week before how oftentimes the Lord prepares us for what's ahead. And we don't quite understand it or see it all the time until we've kind of either in the middle of it or just past whatever the Lord's revealed. And and I've talked to so many people that all of a sudden as we're talking, and it's like, well, the Lord kind of prepared you for that, didn't he? And it's like, and, and, and it's almost like, yeah, he did because of what they've been sharing and how God had revealed the situation to them or what they might be going through. And here we see that it's exactly what, what Paul was going through, that God had already prepared him. And even though Paul knows that, <laughs> um, he, is, he is willing to do or go through whatever he has to. He, he's not stopping midstream going, Lord, it's just getting too hard. I, I didn't expect it to be this hard. He, did, he didn't do that. He understands what it means to serve God, that it would cost him his life at one point, and he was willing but it doesn't mean that, that he was not going to stand up for himself when necessary, as we're going to see that today. He continues to use wisdom from God. And, and we, we shared a verse, I think it was last week, where, where Jesus tells his disciples, be wise as serpent and gentle as doves. And we see that in the Apostle Paul. Because even in this instance, we're going to see that he continues to be wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove, understanding the situation and kind of going with the situation and not forcing the issue. Um, anyways, we'll, we'll get into to all that. And so he continues to, to, to use wisdom in, in what he, he has to go through. 
um, whatever it took for him, he was going to share his testimony or he was going to share the gospel or, or, or mix those in together. Whatever it was, he was going to do that. That was his life. He couldn't but help to share the gospel with people wherever he went. I'm sure he had his down days, but man, his heart, his life was to be a testimony, to share his testimony, to share the gospel, to be a light wherever he was at. And again, I just want to encourage you that again, that's what God has called us to be every day, every day. We're not to take vacations or timeouts with Christ. Wherever you're at, if you're a believer in Christ, you are to be a light. And we see that in the life of Paul. No matter where he went, no matter the situation, his heart was to be that light. And even though it may not have made sense to, to him at the time, and even maybe those who were with him of what was going on, and, and even to us, we read some of these things and it just doesn't make sense. Lord, why would you allow that to happen to this man after he has served you and done all these things? And I was talking to somebody just the other day and it just seems like, again, they're going through an issue and then something else comes on top of that. And then when you think it's like, oh my gosh, that was so hard. And then something else hits and they're going, Lord, I don't know if I can handle this. And yet God prepares us for all this to say, I will get you through it. And the scripture that kept on coming to mind as I was thinking about that is that when we know, we know that all things work together for the good, uh, together for good to those who love God and are called, are the called according to his purpose. No matter what we go through, God will use it. He definitely will. And that's where sometimes we don't understand. How can you use this? You know, again, just kind of talking to, to the Maxwells the other day and a year, tomorrow will be a year that they lost their son, right? They had no clue what God would do with that. In that tragedy, walking out with them without their son from the hospital was heartbreaking. And yet to see what God has done a year later, you know, they had no clue where God would have them or how he could use that tragedy for his good. And yet the whole high desert has been hearing of, of, of this ministry because of this young man that died. And so, again, God will use everything for his good. Understand that. Everything. And so, um, whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. And it is never in vain. None of it. Isaiah fifty-one eleven says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall, uh, and it shall uh, propose purpose that, uh, in the things for which I have sent it and the purpose for which I have sent it. Um, okay, so verse uh, 30 of chapter 22, and then we'll move on because we're in the middle of a little thing here. It says, uh, the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priest and all the council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived 
in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. For you sit to judge me according to the law. And do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of the rulers of the people. But when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when they had, when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the assembly was divided for, for Sadducees say, that there is no resurrection and no angels or spirit. But the Pharisees confessed both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Then when the there arose a great dissension. The commander feared lest Paul might be pulled in pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring them into the barrack, bring him into the barracks. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness in Rome. Paul, it says, was looking earnestly at these at these at this council that was brought that he was brought before. This council is the Sanhedrin. If you've heard that that word, that that is the the, the this group of of people that was made up of Sadducees and Pharisees, um, made up of about seventy one men the high priest being the one that presided over them. And so he, he, he's, he's before these guys here. And Paul, as he looked earnestly at them, which means that he stretched to gaze intently. In other words, he kind of like did this, stretched his neck forward to kind of gaze at them a little closer. In other words, he, he fixed or he fastened and he's, or he set his eyes on them. Now understand that the last time he stood before these the Sanhedrin, this council, was when he had been given letters by them to go and persecute the church. Now they were probably not the same men. It's been about 25 years since he, he stood before the Sanhedrin. Maybe some of the old timers were still there. And maybe that's when he was stretching his, his head out, you know, looking at them intently as like, I remember you. And now the shoe was on the other foot. He's, he's here as part of the church that they absolutely hated. 
Now it is quite possible that the reason for looking intently was to see if he, if he could recognize any of them. Because it almost seems like this, this whole council was put together quickly and it's quite possible that it wasn't the whole council. It was just people that, you know, some of the Sanhedrin that were around that they gathered them together. So it's quite possible that he was just kind of looking to see where all of them were, if they were all there. To see if he recognized them. Maybe he was sizing them up to see how many Pharisees and how many Sadducees there was. He addresses them in the normal way, in the customary way that the Jews would. And perhaps he is still speaking to them in in their native language of the Hebrew language to them. And he says, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. The Amplified puts it this way. I have lived before God doing my duty with a perfectly good conscience until this day as a citizen, a true and loyal Jew. Now, I don't know what that did to these guys. Um, it, It almost sounds like he was challenging them because of what he was being accused of. And that, that, that he was now defending himself. And it almost sounds like he had something prepared to, to speak to them about. And it's interesting because it didn't go very far. <laughs> he, he, he's saying, I have conducted myself in such a proper manner, in such, in such a good way all these years for this to be accused of something like this. And it almost sounds again that he offended them. And the high priest decides, hey, somebody shut his mouth. Somebody smack him. And it's interesting because the historian Josephus wrote about Ananias, about this kind of response that it was in keeping, it was in line with who this man was. It is, he is described as being an insolent man, a rude, a dis, disrespectful kind of guy, that he was hot-tempered, profane, and a greedy man. And this high priest didn't want to hear anything from Paul. It's quite possible that he remembered Paul and that he was a traitor because he was going to be one of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. He knew that. And it's quite possible that he had this against them all these years. And when he began to speak and he had, he had them in front of them, that all of a sudden it's like, you, smack them. Shut them up. I don't want to hear anything right now. And it might have been not a great surprise to anybody in that whole council or even the guards. They might have not been surprised that he would command somebody to do that. But I'm sure it kind of took Paul off guard a little bit. As he was ready to speak, as he's presenting his case to them, and whammo! It's like, shut him up. And Paul comes back and he drops the 3W bomb on him. He calls him the 3W word. The whitewashed wall. Ooh. Yeah. It's like, man, Jesus used... The, the WWT word one time when he called these Pharisees whitewashed tombs. And so you might be thinking, whitewashed, is that like a bad word? Well, it's not a bad word. But, but man, when you called somebody a whitewashed wall or a whitewashed tomb, what you were calling them was a hypocrite. And so here he gets smacked and he turns around and he says, bam, you whitewashed wall. And again, it's an insult. 
It was an insult, especially to a high priest. You didn't talk back to a high priest like that. The man, oh man, he dropped that bomb on him there. He came right back at him. (laughs) And he tells him, man, you have stricken me contrary to the law. Paul knew the law. He knew that what he had just done was not right. And Paul came right back at him. And again, to be a whitewashed anything was to be a hypocrite, that you look good on the outside, but inside, when Jesus used whitewashed tomb, he says, you're full of dead man bones. You're dead inside. Outwardly you look great, but inwardly you're dead. And Paul, in this sense, was saying, man, outwardly you look strong and you look clean and you look pure, but inwardly you're, you're, you're weak and, and you're deteriora- deteriorating. You're falling apart inside. And again, man, he comes at him and he says, man, you sit in a place of judgment to do justice and you're violating the law. And you're having an uncondemned man smacked in the face. And there was truth in what he had said. He called him out. But after the outburst from Paul, it was made known to him that it was the high priest that ordered the hit. (laughs) Now, for some reason, Paul didn't know that he was a high priest. And reading some of the commentaries, many of the commentators are wondering, how is it that he didn't know that it was the high priest? And some say that Paul didn't know that he was the high priest because it was such an informal meeting in the sense that they just uh, you know, got them together quickly that it's quite possible that he didn't have his high priest garb on. That he couldn't tell who was the high priest and who wasn't the high priest. It's quite possible that he wasn't sitting in the seat where the high priest sits. It's quite possible. And so all these guys are wondering, you know, he wasn't sitting in his usual place. It's quite possible that he had been gone for so long, he just, he, he didn't know, he, he had forgotten all these years. Maybe he just didn't recognize the whole council anymore because it had changed so much. And as one commentator said, it might be that he was just being sarcastic. Could such a man actually be a high priest that would order a hit like that? You know? But he ends up quoting Exodus 22, uh, 28, where it says, And you shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. And Paul Again, to me, because he quotes this, it's quite possible he truly didn't know that this man was the high priest. And and, and Paul shows respect to the office, even though it doesn't seem like he respected the man that sat in that office. And what we could take away from this portion here is that it doesn't always go our way. It doesn't always go the way we planned it. Because it's quite possible that he had a little speech ready to speak to the council and he got smacked and it didn't go the way he wanted it. And just because it doesn't go the way we want it, it doesn't give us the right to fly off the handle at people. Even if they're wrong. Paul humbles himself here. We see the humility of Paul. And as I, was, as I was looking at that, thinking of what we taught on Sunday morning, it's like, well, was it 
God that humbled him or did he humble himself? Either way, we see Paul humbled. We see the humility of Paul that he realizes, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have dropped the, 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 the W word on him, you know, the three W word. I shouldn't have done that to him. But he gets humbled. And again, once again, I, I just like that about Paul, that he was able to, to humble himself or to be humbled. And so from verse 6 to about 10, we see that after that whole thing happens, it says, but when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council. Once Paul saw that his first attempt was foiled, thwarted, stymied, he took another stab at it. He, he, he took a different direction. He, he took a different approach, a different angle. And he came at them. And now he was going to talk to them more on a doctrinal issue against these two groups. He knew everything about the Sadducees. He knew everything about the Pharisees. And these two guys were from one end of the spectrum to the other. When we were up at the men's retreat, Gail Irwin said it was like the Democrats and the Republicans, these Sadducees and these Pharisees. Both parties were polar opposites from each other. Especially when it came to the spiritual realm. And once again, Paul uses wisdom. As he sees, okay, that approach didn't work, let me take it this way. And he begins to throw this at them. As he, he says, I am a Pharisee. So, because he knew what had happened in his life and what he believed, and he knew what they believed. I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And he throws that out there, knowing that the Sadducees were Sadducee because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They had no hope, so they were always sad. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were always like, well, they weren't fair, you see, because they would always lay burdens on people and not help them to get it fixed. And so he knew that about the Sadducees. He knew that the Pharisees would come to his defense because any time the Pharisees can go against the Sadducees in this realm, they would attack each other. And the division... Was, was being caused right there. And this division was going to be used for Paul's advantage. And now the Pharisees were on his side. And it's almost like, was Paul playing politics here? He says, yeah, he was. He took advantage of this. He took that approach. He knew that he would not be getting a fair trial, especially after the smack in the face. He knew that it wasn't going to go his way. And he took a different approach. This was a volatile situation that was going on here. And it is quite possible that if God had not given him the wisdom to take that direction, this trial would have, would have proceeded really quick. And I'm sure there was people outside already gathering stones to kill Paul. <laughs> And so because of this whole thing, once again, the Lord uses the commander. 
to come and save Paul's life. Because Paul was in a literal tug of war. It's interesting because it seems like they had him and, and the Pharisees were pulling him one way and the Sadducees were pulling him another way to where they feared, man, they're going to tear this guy apart. They're ready to tear this guy apart. That's how much they, they, they despised one another. And yet he's pitting them against each other. And they're coming against each other and Paul's going, oh well. And, and one of the things about Paul right now is that he knows that he's not going to die in Jerusalem. He knows that. He knows that God had already spoken to him prior to verse 11 that he would be going to Rome. He didn't, maybe he's thinking, well, I might not get there in one piece, but I will get there one way or another. And so it's almost like he's not concerned. He's not worried so much. But the Lord uses a commander. And I I just think again how the Lord kind of uses different situations, situations that that are unconventional. Because what we don't see here is the rest of the church coming to his defense. We don't see anybody coming there and saying, hey, I'm here to speak for Paul. It seems like Paul is all by himself. And maybe they were just afraid of what could have happened to them. And they were just kind of like, Paul, you know, we had these issues with you. And like, you're on your own, bro. But Paul, or, or God uses unconventional things at times to come to our defense. You know, when you, when you hear that God works in strange ways, things that, that, that we're not familiar with sometimes all of a sudden comes to our rescue and we go, wow, Lord, even a non-believer? Yeah, even a non-believer, God will use. And so verse 11, I love this verse. We sang this last song about kind of what I'm going to share here. He says, But in the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you so you must also bear witness at Rome. Once again, God confirms to him, I have spoken to you, I have, I have provided for you, I, I will take care of you, you will get to Rome, Paul. Nothing's going to happen to you. And again, I just think it's an amazing verse, knowing that the Lord had already revealed these things to Paul. He comes and he just ministers to him and it says that he stood by him. I don't know if this was one of his darkest moments. I really don't think that it was. But Jesus came and stood by him. It was a hard time, I'm sure. But Jesus comes to him and encourages him. And what I find ironic is that he knew his name. <laughs> Most importantly, not just that he comes and he stands by him, but he knows his name. He knows Paul's name. And I was just talking to a young lady earlier, right before service, and I was trying to encourage her, and I came to this verse. I said, listen, I, I'm going to be sharing this verse tonight. You need to hear it. Because whatever you're going through right now, God knows your name. God knows your name. And He will come and He will stand right by you. And, and, and so whatever happens in your life, whether it goes this way or that way, God, God will stand by you and He knows your name. And I think it's just amazing that God knows your name, He knows my name. He knows what you're going through. And even if it might be one of your darkest moments, He knows your name. He will come and He will stand by you and He will encourage you. 
He will tell you, take courage. Be of good cheer. I will be there for you. I won't leave you. And he mentions your name. (laughs) And I think that's just so amazing. Because oftentimes when we're going through a difficult time in our lives, you know, we just feel like, man, everything is coming against me. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll eat some worms. You know, you get to that point where it's like, ah. And Jesus will come and he will stand by you and he will call you by name. Man, how, how, how do you not take comfort in that, people? How do, you not, how do you not cling on to that and say, okay, Lord, if you know my name, then you know what I'm all about. You know what I'm going through. He comes and he stands by him. And we might read this chapter and we, and we might think like, man, it just didn't go the way it was supposed to for Paul. It's like, yeah, it did. You know, we, we, we might think, well, gosh, he got beat up. He got beat up when he got there. He, he started sharing his testimony and he gets shut down, basically. He almost comes close to being scourged. He gets smacked in the mouth. He's almost torn apart. And you're going, man, Paul, you're just having one of those days, huh, bro? It's just one of those weeks that you're just like, just hide me away somewhere. And yet the Lord comes to him, and in this verse, he tells him and he encourages him. He says, be of good cheer, Paul, as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And it's like, man, it, it, for, for us, if we just kind of read it, we're going, man, things didn't go good for Paul. And, and yet Jesus said, no, you were testifying of me. Even if you didn't get, get to finish your testimony, you testified of me. Even though you almost, or you did get beat up, you still testified of me. Everything that happened in Paul's life was a testimony of what God does in somebody's life. And God recognized it. He saw it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Because those times where you think like, man, I just blew a witness. Or man, I didn't even get to share. Or I started and they just shut me up and I didn't get to share. And you're going, oh Lord, man, I'm just such a failure. And God says, but you spoke my name. You testified of me. And he knows it. And he says, I will be with you. Isn't that amazing? Can I just tell you guys, be of good cheer. Take courage. So what? Everything goes bad. Testify of Jesus. Testify of Him day in and day out. Verse 12. How much time we got? Verse 12. We're going to read through. It says, when, And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under, a oath, under, uh, under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow. As they, 
as though you were going to make further inquiry concerning him. But we will be ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner, called to me, uh, called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He, he has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than forty of them lie in wait for him. Men who have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither drink nor eat until they have killed him. And now they are they are ready, waiting for the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, Tell no one that you, uh, that you have revealed these things to me. Then he called for two centurions, saying, Prepare two hundred soldiers, seventy horsemen, and two hundred spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night, and provide mount, mounts for, uh, to set Paul on, and bring him safely to Felix the governor. He wrote a letter in, this, in the following ma- manner. Claudius Lysia, Lycia, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when they, I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him, deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for this man, I sent him immediately to you, and also commanded this his accusers to state before you the charge against him. Farewell. When the soldiers... Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Archiparis. The next day they left and the horsemen to go on with him and return to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And he said... Uh, and when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers have also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. Once again, God uses unconventional things, people, to rescue one of his own. These 40 men that... Um, that had taken an oath. It was an oath and a curse that they would not eat. And so I figured they all died. Um, doesn't tell us that. 
But if they were true to their word, they would have died. There would have been blood tonight. (laughs) So they never got him because God had already promised to rescue him. And so, again, we, we see Paul... Being, being used of God, God was going to get him safely to Rome. And we're going to see throughout the rest of this, the book of Acts that everything that comes against them, nothing will prosper because God has already promised a safe place to go to, or a safe journey to, to, um, to Rome. Um, right now we're going to just spend some time in, in just fellowship with the Lord. We're going to commune with Him. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up. And what I want to do tonight, um, in a little while, I'll call for the, the, uh, the ushers to come up. And we're going to pass out the bread. We're going to pass out the cup um, at different times. And we're just going to pray for the cup. And I want you to pray. Some of you guys are new. I've done this several times. I just want it to be a time of communion. I don't want to hurry it up. They're, they're going to finish the song. They're not going to finish it when they come and get the communion back. We don't have, well, we have a half hour. But we'll stay longer if we need to. But I will call on somebody to pray, to start us off in prayer. And we're not going to pray for Aunt Susie, or we're not going to pray for Uncle Bob. We're not going to pray for anybody, except when we're going to pray, we're going to pray for the, the bread, and then we're going to pray for the cup. And guys, some of you guys have probably never done that out loud. But I want you to be able to feel the freedom to just pray. If, if you want to thank God for what he has done of allowing his son to be sent, then pray that. I know it might scare you to death and you might be thinking, oh, don't call on me first. Well, you never know. So anyways, let's just pray as we enter into a time of communion and just a sweet time with the Lord. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you, Lord. That God, even as we spend this time with you, Lord, we thank you first and foremost, Lord. God, just verse 11 was telling us that, Lord, you will always come and you will meet us right where we're at, Lord. You will always bring encouragement to our hearts, no matter what we're going through, Lord God. We do, do thank you, Lord God, that you know us. You know us intimately. Lord, tonight, Lord, we just want to spend... You know us by name, Lord. You know us inside and out, Lord. You said that when we do this, we will remember your death. And that's what we want to do, Lord. We want to rejoice in it because it's brought us to this point of communion. It's brought us to a point where we can just worship and honor and spend this time, Lord. Lord, we don't want to hurry it, Lord. We want to just be able to thank you. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord God, those who, Lord, have never prayed out loud, Lord God. Maybe tonight, Lord, you will loosen their tongue as they Lord, I just want to thank you for sending your son, Lord. For shedding his blood on our behalf. Lord, we just want to be in your presence tonight. We just want to spend this time with you, Lord. Bless this time I have. In Jesus' name, amen.